So um, welcome to FIRE 2019. I, <laughs> I am Pastor Deanna. I'm one of the senior pastors here along with my husband, Sean. Um, and we just want to welcome you today to Destiny Foursquare Church. And we want to welcome you to uh, FIRE Conference 2019. So I'd just like to say a few words about Jesse Cruikshank, who has grace, graciously um, driven all the way over here to share with you, to impart to you, um, to just kind of uh, set fire to, to a vision that God has given us, given her for you. So she's a licensed Foursquare minister. She is um, the director of leadership development for our district. She has a master's degree from Harvard, and I got to read this, in <laughs> mind, brain, and education. She's climbed mountains. She's whitewater rafted. She's an amazing woman, um, amazing wife, amazing uh, pastor in our denomination. And we just want to welcome you, Jesse. Well, good morning. How are you guys doing this morning? How many of you were blessed by the kids? Like that was that blessed me. Did you see the? Yeah, there was like a fivefold, sixfold ministry just spontaneously happening over there. I loved it. How many of you have been blessed this week so far? Yeah. For those of you that were here, just kind of turn to somebody who wasn't and say, just just touch them and say, we bless you in the name of Jesus, because God is outside of space and time, and they can get what you got. I believe it. I believe it. Well, as Pastor Deanna said, um, I, am an, I am actually an ordained minister, <laughs> believe it or not, four square ordains people like me, which means, you know, there's hope for all of us. And I, I do serve with the district office, and I actually serve with the national office as well. And I was um, texting our president of Foursquare, Glenn Burris, this morning, and he knows that we're gathering and we're doing this this morning, and he's been praying for you, so I send you his greetings. Um, as well as our district supervisor, Sam Rockwell, also sends you his greetings. So I just want to thank you for the honor and the privilege that it's been to be here with you all. So thank you for that. I have been so blessed by you. So whether or not you got out anything out of this all, I sure did, so it's a win. So the series that we've been talking about, um, I call Beyond Revival. And we, the first night, for those of you that weren't here, we talked about our identity in Christ and having our identity in Christ come into alignment with who heaven says we are so that we can see ourselves the way God sees us, And we can take back our testimony and we can reclaim the power and the breakthrough and all the promises that exist in scripture over our own testimony and to, to no longer let the enemy be in charge of it and bring us shame. And then last night we talked about that calling, that anointing that exists in our life and how we actually have this superpower in the, in the spiritual called our intimacy, intimacy with God and how we stop using the Holy Spirit to prove and to perform and to produce, and we stop using the Holy Spirit for our agenda, but we lean into our intimacy with the Father because we know He's proud of us and we know He likes us, and we can just live and exist in that, and that's where our power in the supernatural comes from. And the Holy Spirit is just there to confirm it, and the Holy Spirit does what Holy Spirit does, which is amazing. Amen. And we don't have to pull down heaven. We don't have to grasp and rend the heavens anymore. 
because God is doing a new thing and it is coming out of us. And so this morning we're going to bring this full circle. So we haven't actually like summited the peak yet. We're still, we're almost there. We're getting there. We're going to bring it home this morning. So I wanted to talk to you about this idea that we think about called revival. And I, I wanted to just um, take a moment. Well, actually, I wrote a note down on here. Um, I forgot to introduce you to, uh, to a couple of entities. Um, this is fire. This is my angel fire. This is my angel rushing wave. These are the angels that have been with me since I was a small child. I didn't know their names until a few years ago. Um, I didn't know you could ask them their names until a few years ago when I was listening to Ian Clayton, and I was like, oh, well, I know they've always been there, because in the spiritual warfare that I grew up with in my home, I was always like, Lord God, you got to protect me while I sleep from the demonic that was in my home. And I was like, Lord, you got to protect me while I sleep. So I want really big angels. I want one really big angel on this side and one really big angel on this side. I want them to have the biggest swords ever. (laughs) And they were always there. And then I was like, oh, you can talk to them. And I asked them their name and this one said it was fire and this one said it was rushing wave. And I was like, rushing wave, that's really long. Can, do you have like a nickname I can call you? And he was like, no. I looked at fire and I was like, he doesn't have much sense of humor, does he? So anyway, gotten to know them. So when the Lord helped me, you know, know what they, their names were, I realized, okay, I'm like, okay, so I got revival angels. What's up with that? Like, I don't know what that means. And I started asking the Lord and in, in, in pursuing this place with him about what is revival and what does it mean and what does it look like and just kind of entering in to, to learn from God what he wants for us. And revival, you know, it's just, I mean, I've, I grew up in a Baptist church, which is why I got kicked out, but then I'm Pentecostal, <laughs> I'm Pentecostal to the core, and I'm Foursquare, and And in this world of Pentecostals, we love revival, right? We pray for it all the time, right? We go and we travel, right? We travel to Toronto and we travel to Florida and we go places because we're so hungry for it. And as I was seeking the Lord and asking him what he wants for us, this question began to like build in my heart. And I was like, well, why do we think that revival is the best thing God has to give us? Why do we think that that's the best prayer we have to pray from God? Because I wonder, I wonder if it's not. I wonder if there's a better prayer. And I was like, okay, so because the way I think about revival is like this massive, you know, visitation from God, right? He, he comes, the Holy Spirit manifests, and it like overwhelms us, right? And so to me, that's kind of like heaven's intervention process. So if you've ever known anybody who is an addict or you never ever know anybody who like needs rescued from their situation because they're making really bad decisions and like all hands are on deck and the family shows up and you have intervention, like that's what I think of revival as. And I'm like, God, what if we're healthier than that? What if we're more mature than that? What if we don't need all of heaven to like rally around and, and save us from our bad choices? Then what do we pray for? What do we ask for? See, there's actually no precedent in the New Testament for revival. It's an Old Testament idea. Lord, revive us. Those are prayers in the Old Testament. So what does a New Testament understanding look like? 
Because the reality is, if that we're going to step into this new church age that probably started at Pentecost like a year ago, if we're going to step into the reality of, this, of the new covenant, what should our prayer be? What should our desire be? And as I was pondering that question with the Lord, he spoke a word into my heart that has changed my life. Inhabitation. Not revival. Inhabitation. So we're going to look at what inhabitation means this morning. So the Jewish festivals of the year. Okay, history lesson, real quick. Right, we're at Pentecost today. And Pentecost is the third Jewish festival of the year. So we have Passover. We have the festival of when Jesus was raised from the dead. And now it just fell out of my brain because I didn't write it down. And I know it. But anyway, Pentecost is the festival of the first fruits. That's today. And then you have the fall festivals. Okay? So Pentecost is the giving of the Torah, the first fruits. It's the truth and the witness of God. And that's when the Holy Spirit came to dwell with men, to dwell with women, to dwell with us in the giving of the truth and the witness of God. And it celebrates the very beginning of the harvest. We're going to come back to that. The fall festivals, the first one of the fall is called the Feast of the Tabernacles. And that's the one we're going to look at this morning. The Feast of the Tabernacles. And this is also called the Feast of Shelters, and it's where you celebrate the harvest. And the festival takes place in the fall, so either late September or early October. And everybody, the way that they celebrate it is that they build shelters or tents or wooden structures on their porches or outside their houses, and they live in them for a week. And they sleep there, and they eat there. And it's meant to uh, remember that God took care of Israel in the wilderness, that he was with them, that he, he indwelled with them in tabernacle. And it's also to remember the harvest, and, and it's the end of the year, so we celebrate, right? We're, we're people, we're an agriculture people, we get that, right? The end of the year when you get to um, uh, harvest everything. And so there's tons of symbolism in the festival of tabernacles with the oil and the water that they would pour out every day and the fire that they would light to remember that it was the pillar of fire that led them through the wilderness and they pour out the water to remember it was the cloud that led them by day. Huge symbolism for us here. We're kind of going to be able to get into all of it, but it is the harvest time where they would harvest the grapes and they would make new wine. And where they would harvest the olives and they would make oil. And there are a couple themes that I want to pull out of the, the Festival of Tabernacles that will help us think about inhabitation because I believe that this festival, the Festival of Shelters, is, is this prototype, this, this symbolism, this visual aid to help us understand what it means for God to inhabit with his people. How can we understand the presence of God? So theme one. Theme one, incarnation. God with us, Emmanuel. Who's that in the name for? That's the name for Jesus, right? So we're going to look at this through a New Testament lens. The incarnation. Ephesians 3, 14 through 31. Paul says, when I think of all of this, I fall to my knees and pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and earth, and I pray that out of his glorious and unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. 
And then Christ will make his home in your heart as you trust in him. And your roots will go down deep into God's love and it will keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how high, how long, how deep is his love. And may you experience the love of Christ that is too great to fully understand, but then you will be made complete with the fullness of life and the power that comes from God. Incarnation. Jesus was God incarnated in our world. Like, if you haven't studied that, if you haven't sat with that thought, I want to encourage you to because it changes everything. We don't have to ask God to come. He's already here. I don't have to go and find my way back to God if I feel separated from him because he's already here. And he lives on the inside of us. And this is something the Lord taught me when I um, was trying to have babies. So if you've been here, you know some of my testimony. And that I'm not able to, my husband and I are not able to have kids and I've lost four. So I've had four, four babies in heaven. And in the middle of that, in the middle of my anger and my eight years of fighting God, my three years of not talking to him, I said, God, why would you put me through this? Because I hear those songs that you're good. But my life, I don't feel like you're good. I don't feel like you're being kind to me right now. This is pretty awful because you could heal me and you won't. So what's up with that? And he said to me so gently because he is gentle. He said, I don't put you through something like I'm standing beside you watching you go through it. That's not truth. I'm inside of you. So everything you go through, I go through too. With your eyes, with your thoughts, with your heart, I feel it the same way you do. So everything you have been through, all of those things that come up in your mind when we pray God is good and you're like, eh, maybe not so much in this space. He wants you to know this morning that he has been through that too. So when Jesus says the things that you do to the least of these, you do to me, like that's literally real. There's nothing anybody has done to you that they did not do to Jesus. Not a single thing. He experiences our life through us so that we can experience his life through him. It's the most amazing trade and exchange ever. Because of the cross, this is real. Jesus incarnates us. So instead of, of Jesus being out here, like my buddy, like my buddy Sean, he's inside here, which means everywhere I go, he goes. And everyone I bump into, he bumps into. And everyone I bump into, bumps into him, hopefully. <laughs> right? That's my goal. My goal is that Jesus fills me. He fills the inside of me. He fills me so deep, so fully, that he actually gets bigger than me, and he's on the outside. And we talked a little bit about that last night, right? So some ways I think about this. One way I think about it is I'm in an inflatable sumo suit. Anybody seen the inflatable sumo suits? Yeah, I wear one of those in the spirit. It's Jesus. Jesus is my sumo suit. So as I'm walking around and I bump into people, they're bumping into Jesus. 
As I walk around and I encounter people, I want them to encounter Jesus. Lord, please. So whether it's a sumo suit or as we talked about last night, it's your like force field superpower, you should get the tape. We want the incarnation. It's not just for us. That intimacy, that special, amazing place that we experience God is not just for us. It's not a private thing. It's meant to change our world. So God just doesn't incarnate me. His desire is for the kingdom to come so he can incarnate my family. So he can incarnate where I work. So he can incarnate my neighborhood. Jesus wants to incarnate your city. We don't hide from the world. We take Christ into the world. We don't hide in a secret place. We take it with us. We get filled up there. We find ourselves there. And we get strong there because we're supposed to never leave it. It's supposed to go with us right? The throne of heaven is on wheels, people. It doesn't move. It doesn't require you to come to it. It comes to you. We're supposed to go and incarnate. Paul says that Jesus, his prayer is that Jesus would fill everything everywhere with himself. So if Jesus is here in our neighborhood, in our jobs, in our communities, how do we keep him from just visiting? I don't want a visitation. I want him to move in. So this gets to theme number two. We keep Jesus from visiting by having structures of stewardship. This is in 2 Peter 1, 1 through 9. This is a letter from Simon Peter, a slave and the apostle of Jesus Christ. And I'm writing to you who share the same precious faith that we have, this faith that was given to you because of the justice and fairness that Jesus, of Jesus Christ, our God and our Savior. May God give you more and more grace and peace as you grow in your knowledge of God and the Lord Jesus. By his divine power, God has given us everything we need to live a godly life. We have received all of this by coming to know him, the one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and his excellence. And because of his glory and his excellence, he has given us great and precious promises. These promises that enable us to share in his divine nature and escape the world's corruption that causes human desires. In view of all this, make every effort to respond to God's promises. Supplement your faith with generous portions of moral excellence and moral excellence with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with patience and endurance and patient endurance with godliness and godliness with brotherly, sisterly, healthy family affection and brotherly affection with love for everyone. The more you grow like this, the more productive and useful you will be in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But those who fail to develop in this way are short-sighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed of their own sins. We don't want to be short-sighted and blind. We don't want to forget what Jesus has done. We don't want to forget the cross. We don't want to forget that God loves us. We don't want to forget that he's good all the time. So we have to steward the work that God is doing in us. 
You can't have a home or a city or a kingdom without structures. You have to have structures. It's not just all Holy Spirit move us. We actually like have to have some structures. Now these aren't structures like a box, okay? They're not structures like this building. They're structures like the bones that are on in the, in the, the inside of us that help us carry and move, okay? So they're not structures that contain and thus limit. They're structures that are on the inside that support and help us have full life. This is the difference, right? So we're not talking about religion. We're not talking about structures of religion. Don't get conned because when we have structures of religion, it actually kills life, right? Because Romans says the law brings death, always and forever. That's what religion does. If you feel like the rules are crushing you, you should talk to Sean and find a better way. All right? So, but we, want, we need the right structures. So what are these structures? I have two structures I want to encourage you, and these are not all the structures that exist, but these are a really great place to start. So structure number one, discipleship habits. We need to be seeking God in deep ways. We can't be satisfied with milk or token Holy Spirit manifestations or coming to church and getting a little sparkly sparkly and then going out and forgetting what God has done for us and feeling close to God in here, but away from God out there. Anybody who knows me knows I don't like token Holy Spirit manifestations, right? I don't want just a little bit of the Holy Spirit so that I feel good, but I haven't actually submitted my life to him moving and having, you know, reign over me, right? Because the Holy Spirit doesn't manifest for me. It's to the glory of God and the witness to the others. So I'm all in, right? So if we're going to play in the river, let's get all in, jump, swim, no little like toe dip, no little baptism with a little cup of water. Now I'm an immersion. I was raised in a Baptist church. I'm an immersion girl. All in. And we can't be like zombies living off of other people's spirituality. We need to be fully alive. Right? So zombies are what happens when you have people who are partially dead, but still moving. And that's scary, and that's gross, and that's how the world sees the church. Because that's what the church has been. Like a Jesus zombie. Because we're not fully alive. We haven't learned how to fully embrace and live in the depth of our own spiritual walk with God. We're feasting off of somebody else's life and somebody else's anointing, and somebody else's testimony. That's why we got to embrace our own testimony. we got to embrace our own anointings, our own equippings, our own weapons of warfare. We need to be alive because the world out there needs us to be alive. And we need to be seeking God deeply in our personal prayer lives, in our corporate gatherings. We need to be experiencing, not just reading, but experiencing this. This is a living document. This is living, breathing, it's alive. It changes our lives. We gotta be in this. Don't let the only scripture you know, the scripture that somebody preaches at you. Don't do it, because you don't know if they're right or not. The enemy uses scripture. People use scripture to abuse. 
You gotta know what's in the Bible because it's amazing and we have drifted a long way from it. Anytime we're rude to another person, anytime we seek power, anytime we try to be the most amazing person in the space, we are acting in the opposite spirit to what's in this Bible. There's a whole lot of that going on these days. Unity comes out of love, out of respect, not out of agreement. <laughs> Thank goodness. You get to have your own mind and your own opinion, and you're required to love everyone. That's a different soapbox. Okay. We need to live out what we believe and what we understand, and we need to make ourselves accountable to the revelation that God has given us. Own your revelation. We need to go beyond our understanding and be obedient to get out of the boat and to get out of the box and to go where we haven't gone before and to do what we haven't done before. And we need to be in a place where we look like a fool if God doesn't show up. Right? So even last night, right? We're praying for the baptism of fire. If God doesn't show up, that looked pretty silly. It does. But you need to risk that. When you pray for healing for someone or you pray what's on your heart for someone or you tell them the vision that God is giving you for them, it looks really foolish if God doesn't show up. So be brave and trust that he is good and give him the opportunity to show up and be God. I don't ever want to preach a message that I sound smart or whatever all by myself. I always want to preach something that I sound dumb unless God shows up and makes you think I'm smart. Amen. I praise the Lord. <laughs> I do risky things because I believe in God and I have seen him show up time after time after time again. And he never disappoints me. And I never not doubt I'm always like, God, I know you showed up every other time. But this time, I don't want to take it for granted that you showed up every time because I believe you. But this time, I really need you to show up this time. And so I have doubt, and that's okay because it causes me to pray harder, and that's okay. So it's okay to have doubt. Jump out of the boat anyway. Be a little bit like Peter, be a little reckless for God. We need to be the people we say we are. We need to be the people that God is challenging us to become. We need to have deep ways of seeking God, and we need to discover discipleship again. So just to be clear, we touched on this last night, but just to be clear for those of you who are new, teaching and discipleship are not the same thing. What I'm doing right now is not actually discipleship. I'm teaching because I don't know you. I'm not going to be here tomorrow. And so I don't know how this is going to change your life. And I don't get to ask you the follow-up question. And you don't get to ask me the follow-up question. And I don't get to hold you accountable to the fruit of what God is doing right now. That takes relationship. That's discipleship. And we need to be discipling one another. We need to not abdicate that responsibility to Sean or Beth Moore or Todd White or whomever else that you listen to. I don't care. <laughs> the people you watch on YouTube are not discipling you. 
And you can't put YouTube on for someone else and expect that that's discipling them. Be in relationship with one another and ask each other the questions that we need to ask. Don't outsource discipleship to someone else. It's your responsibility. I'm not talking to Sean. I'm talking to all y'all. Your responsibility. Teaching is good, but it's not enough. And bad teaching is even worse. It actually creates a net. This is my neuroscience background. It actually makes us think we know something that we don't actually know. And then we become inoculated, vaccinated to truth, vaccinated to obedience. And we can't actually live it out because we think we know something when our life doesn't prove it. And it's stored in the wrong memory system. And it's stored in a memory system that can't actually apply it to our life. And so we get a lot of teaching and we have no obedience. And we have to unlearn in order to relearn. But we don't think we know it need to unlearn because we're like, oh, I already know what grace is. I already know what salvation is. I already know what Jesus did on the cross. And we become educated beyond our obedience. So we need discipleship. We need to live in relationship with one another and not keep our spiritual life private because it's not about you. It's about all of us and it's mostly about them out there. Amen. But you can do this. I know I have been here the last few days and this is a praying church. Is this a praying church? Am I wrong? This is a praying church, right? So you guys aren't used to just being passive, you're used to participating. Keep participating. Expand how you're participating. Come to Sean, bug him over the next three months with all of your ideas of the things God's put on your heart so he can say, yes, you can do it, but ask him because you never know what you don't know and maybe he has a little wisdom. I know he looks really young, but he's smarter than he looks. So... And Pastor Deanna will always bring all the wisdom. It's true. It's true. Get fired up about something. Let yourself be passionate. Keep participating. Because the world needs you to live out your calling and your anointing. So second structure. Warfare habits. First structure is discipleship habits. Second structure is warfare habits. We need to protect the structures that we build from the enemy. And we need to continue to give the enemy no place. So how do we do this? We do this with healing in our body, in our mind, in our soul. We do this through therapy, people. Therapy. So let me tell you. Right? If you've heard my testimony, you know I have a lot of reason to have a lot of issues. <laughs> I don't know, maybe you've lived a better life and a simpler life and a less messy life than me, but I have issues. But I hate the enemy, like with everything. And I don't want him to have a place in my life. And I'd rather do very little for God, but not give the enemy a place to use me ever. 
And so I think about therapy like I think about exercise. I'm training for a 10-mile Tough Mudder right now and a little behind on my schedule. But I, I work out three days a week, working on four, right? So I have a regular rhythm of working out and exercising because that's how I keep myself healthy. That's how I make ground. I think about therapy the same way. I have a standing appointment every three months. And I go. And we talk about what's come up in life. And we talk about where God's leading me and what he's teaching me. And we talk about where I'm not fully cooperating with that. And what do I think about that? And what's coming up? And sometimes it's just, I mean, it, what I need is all kinds of different things. There's not any one magic pill because I'm a complex human being. <laughs> but I go regularly because it's how I maintain my soul and my spiritual health. And every piece of ground I gain is a piece of ground the enemy loses. And the enemy's footholds get smaller and smaller and smaller. Another habit of warfare is covenant community. Being part of a community where we covenant together and we, to be in authentic relationship with one another. Now, I'm a Wyoming girl. I grew up in a town of 1,500 people, and most of them were related, and I wasn't related to any of them, so I was an outsider. And everybody knew everybody's business. But that didn't mean we knew each other. And that didn't mean we were in community together. And just because I know about somebody's life through rumor and talkity-talk, that doesn't mean that I know what God's challenging them in and how he's speaking to them and what promises he's told them and where they're struggling. We need to be not just in fellowship with one another, but covenant community. We need to covenant with one another so that we can encourage each other with what God's doing. We need to champion one another. We need to celebrate one another's anointings, not covet them. We need to celebrate them. We need to sow into them. We need to share well. And we need to gently correct one another, not fix each other, not the same thing, but remind each other of who God says we are so that we can spur each other onto good deeds, into hope, into life. We, correctly, we gently correct one another, not out of fear or reaction to sin, because God's not scared of your sin. He sees it all the time. And he lives in you. Don't be different than God in this place. We don't reject people because of sin. We evangelize them, right? We don't reject. Disassociation is a sin. Let me just tell you that. That's not what I was raised with. What I was raised with was that, well, if somebody doesn't sin and they don't get better, then you kick them out and you treat them like a tax collector and a prostitute. Well, you know what Jesus did with the tax collectors and the prostitutes? He hung out with them. He evangelized them, he ate with them, and he went and presented them the good news. Amen. God never disassociates from you. Jesus never disassociated from anyone. You have no permission either. Abuse is a different thing, but we're not talking about that. We're talking about rejection of people because of their sin. You don't get to do it. Covenant community, we don't do that. We tell people the truth, and we persevere with them. 
We tell people the truth and we persevere with them. Oh, dear Lord. Lord, Lord, help us in this place. Help us be different than our society. Lord, help us be different than our culture. Help us be different than the polarization that is happening where we reject people. Lord God, would you break the spirit of rejection that exists in our culture and let it have no place in this house? No place here. All are welcome because freedom and light and life and love and truth live here. And it lives in us and we can take it. We can take it out there. And we can create a different story. We can be a different person in our neighborhood. We can be a different person in our family. We can be a different person in the grocery store. We covenant together with one another because no one of us has a pure theology. No one of us knows all of the truth or all that we know is the truth. Our brains make a lot of stuff up. I promise. <laughs> and God made us that way. So what's that about? Well, apparently he's okay with that and he knows that, that what that's supposed to do, our limitations are supposed to drive us into community. Right? God exists in community. The Trinity exists in community. There is always community in the kingdom. There's never any solo heroes. There's no Superman. It's always the Avengers. Right? No Superman. No solo heroes. You don't get to be out there on your own. Right? That's another zombie thing. Because then you're just an eyeball out there on your own. You're just a hand out there on your own. You're just a foot out there on your own, and that's what horror stories are made of. All right, so don't be like that. We're called to be in community, and community is what helps us refine our theology. It's what helps us refine our truth. It helps, like, we need other people to champion the scriptures that I don't care about that much, but they're still in the Bible, and they're still important, and maybe that scripture doesn't cause me to burn, but it causes them to burn, and I am better by being connected and covenant with them. Because the heart of God is too big for any one of us to carry. The image of God is too big for any one of us to carry. We have to do it together. And we need to be able to hear Christ speak out of the mouth of anyone else. So we have to be mutually submitted to the Christ in one another. Not submitted to the flesh in one another, because then we just end up in man-pleasing and people-pleasing, but submitted to the Christ in one another. So if the Holy Spirit talks out of the mouth of someone else, even if you don't like them, even if they're not a Christian, you need to be able to hear that. My uncle is an angry atheist. He's an artist and an angry atheist, and he's just used to like, it, he just tears down, he just reveals idols, is what he does. He reveals idols in society and idols in our culture. And he's angry, and I tease him a lot because I'm his only child, and I say, well, Uncle Billy, if you are an angry, how can you be angry at something that you don't believe exists? So I think of him as an angry agnostic, but then he gets mad at me. But one time I was talking to him, and he was giving me some advice, and he says something very profound to me, and the Holy Spirit taps me on the shoulder, and the Holy Spirit says, that's me. 
And I was like, well, if God can speak to me through angry atheist Uncle Bill, and if God can speak to us through donkeys, like Balaam's donkey in the Old Testament, then surely God can speak through your in-laws. Or my in-laws. Or that coworker that you just don't get along with. Surely God is big enough. And surely we are not a ceiling to him and a limitation to him. We need to be in covenant community so that we can hear the word of the Lord for us. And we need to be in relationship with people we disagree with. I have amazing friends in the Southern Baptist Church. My heart is for them this week as they have their convention and they're dealing with the sex abuse that has been prevalent in their, in their churches. My heart is with them and there is a lot of theology we don't agree on. But we agree that Jesus is Lord and we agree that he has shed his blood for us and the whole world needs to know about Jesus. And I believe that when they hang out with me, they get a little the Holy Spirit come too. And it's good. And they carry a passion that I don't carry for, for discipleship. They carry a passion that I don't carry for making sure that we are reading the Bible well. And I need them to carry that because sometimes I get so tired of my own passion that wears me out, I can't carry someone else's passion. I need them to do that. We need the other parts of the body in Christ. We need to be in relationship with people that we don't agree with because it makes us better. It makes us the body. A liver and a kidney are not the same thing. A brain and a heart are not the same thing. They don't do the same thing. They don't carry the same functions. And they can't do what the other one does. But all together, we are a body and we are a people. And that's what the world needs us to be. Second Peter says that when we do this, when we steward the structures, we steward the incarnation, we steward the revelation of who Christ is to us. When we do that, then we don't need revival because we live as if Jesus has died and has risen again. And that is real. And we live in this New Testament understanding of incarnation, that it's always real. It's always true. You always have all of heaven. You don't need heaven to come down and overwhelm you. All of heaven already exists right here inside you, in your grasp, in your sumo suit. You already have all of heaven. Do you believe that this morning? Amen. It's right here. So you don't need to be revived. You just need to shine. Amen. You just need to shine. We can celebrate a current form of the Feast of Tabernacles and we can give thanks for the harvest in our midst. So it's Pentecost where they gave thanks to God for the very first fruits of the harvest, for the very first wheat that had grown. And when I was studying for this, when the Lord gave me this revelation a few weeks ago, a month ago or so, he said to me, you've been asking for the harvest, but I want you to start thanking me for the harvest. Stop asking 
and start thinking because it's happening. It's happening, people. It's happening. It's happening in all the little places that you will never hear about because it's to the glory of God and not the glory of man. Right? The kingdom is breaking out all over this nation in churches this size and way smaller. People are experiencing healing. The dead are being raised. God is manifesting. He is maturing his bride. The harvest is happening. Can we thank him for that this morning? Can we thank him for that this morning? Pentecost, let's thank you, Lord, for your first fruits of the new church age. I'll invite the worship team to come up. We remember that Jesus is the water of life. And we can seek to splash and play and abide deeper and deeper in that river as deep cries out to deep. And we can dwell in the reality that God is in us. And God is here in Destiny Foursquare. And God is here in Rapid City. God is here. That's right. That's right. It's God's country. And we want to see him be incarnated in our neighborhoods and in our communities and in our midst. We want to see him exist in full form in our relationships with one another. So not revival, incarnation. Incarnation. So as I was praying and I was asking the Lord how to, how to close our time together, first night we were dealing with the stuff that we feel, you know, is between us and God, right? Like the offenses that we have and the ways that we feel we're, we're separated from him and we're starting to believe that he's good, right? That was the first night. Second night, we come together and we act on whether or not we believe he's good and we embrace his fire. And that was an invitation for us to come to him, to come to where he is, to come into his throne room, to come into his place and to see him with an unveiled face and to be brave and courageous there. So last night was an invitation from him to us. This morning, I want you to invite him. An invitation from you to God. Will you incarnate this place? Will you incarnate my life? Will you incarnate my family? It's an invitation that we extend to God that says he can set up a pillar of fire and a pillar of cloud here. That the water can be deep here. And the water can be deep in my life because it doesn't just stay here, right? Hope I'm making that clear. It's not just for in this room. It's not just for Sunday morning. But it's an invitation where we ask God, will you make us a new wineskin? Because the church age has changed. God is doing a new thing. And we can't follow him into that if we're afraid of the fire. And we can't follow him into that and have him take us into new forms and new ministries and new things that we can't even dream, that the world has never dreamed of before. Like he's, he's activating all of the people. So you're not all called to go build a church like this. You're, but you are called to the anointing and the equipping and the weapons that you have in your life. So it's an invitation from you to him. Do you want to be a people that he inhabits?
if you want to invite him, if you want to be that person to extend an invitation, I just want to give you the opportunity to stand up right now. If you're not sure, that's cool. That's cool. You may have work you need to do, things that you need to talk with him about, and that's all right. God's not afraid of your anger, and he's not afraid of your judgment. He can take it. Have the conversation. Have the conversation with him. But if you as a people, as a, as a body here, want to invite God to incarnate, just start to pray out. Just pray your own prayer. This is your invitation. This isn't my invitation to God. This is your invitation. So I just want you to pray out. You can pray in your natural language. You can pray in your spiritual language. I want you to pray the prayer that is on your heart right now. So ministry team, pray, please. your neighborhood. Invite him in. Invite him to come and set up home. Is that your heart today? Maybe you've never invited him into your heart to make his home there. Lord, we want to be a people called by your name. We want to look like you individually, corporately, in the things that we say, in the way that we act. And Papa, right now, just in there, the mantle of, of heaven that I, that I carry, Lord God, is your daughter, your dearly loved daughter. I just bear witness right now to these people in their, in their prayers, Lord. Lord, on Pentecost, where the truth and the witness of God was made manifest in the Spirit, Lord God, we ask that the truth and the witness of God is made manifest in the kingdom right now in the name of Jesus. Lord, will you open a gate and manifest the kingdom here in Rapid City in the name of Jesus. to grow us up we give you permission to take us out of the boat we give you permission to take us out of the box we give you permission to light us on a fire that we can't contain and we can't control 
And Lord, you, we give you permission to send us out to invade our city with love, with the presence of God, with the intimacy that we have with you. Papa, will you help us shine? Will you help us shine? Will your kingdom come here? Will your kingdom come here? We want to be part of your kingdom. Nothing less, nothing less than your kingdom, Lord. Families living like kingdom. Families restored. Relationships restored. Lord, jobs that have been such a, so dark and just soul killing. Kingdom come. Kingdom come. Kingdom come in the places we work. Kingdom come in the places we work. Kingdom come in the lives of our coworkers and our bosses and the people who work for us. Lord, kingdom come. Kingdom come in our neighborhoods, Lord God, where that house next door, where that house down the street, Lord, needs your kingdom. Lord, we can't help them solve their problems. Lord God, they're so great and we don't even know how to pray. Can your kingdom come on our streets, in our neighborhoods, Lord? Lord, will your kingdom come, Lord, over the city? Lord, where there are strongholds, will you, will you just, Lord, we don't even know how to tear them down, so we just move them out of the way. We just move them, the kingdom becomes so big, it just moves them out of the way. Lord God, where there has been just deep pain and anguish and persecution and oppression and murder, kingdom come into the soil into the soil, Lord God, where there's blood-soaked soil, will your kingdom come. Lord, we know where we live and we know the history here. Kingdom come. Kingdom come. All the way through. The entire genealogy. Kingdom come. this is your prayer, I just want you to praise the Lord, give him a hand clap and say, yes, Lord, you agree. Because you've got to own it. Not just right now, but like tomorrow and next week. This is yours to carry. This is yours. But I've heard you pray, and I've seen you pray for 50 hours, and you are a praying church, and you are a participating church, and you can do this, Lord. So we just ask you to make it so, make it real, not just for this moment, but from here on out, in the name of Jesus. Do you thank Jesse just uh, for her time with us? Thank you so much. I don't know about you, but I, I just appreciate um, getting to come together. It's like a, a fill-up station. It's better than a gas station. <laughs> we, get to, we get to be filled up to be spilled out. So now we walk out those doors 
um, after 50 hours of just showing into the spirit after being filled up, after putting on our sumo suits, I like that. <laughs> and now we get to bump into people, amen, and go forward with our purpose, which is to know Jesus and to make him known and to go forward with our passions that are stirring up inside of us. <sighs> amen, what a privilege, huh? Oh, man. So, Father God, we just, we just seal this time. We say we love you. There's nothing better than to spend time with you. And, God, we know that um, there's more than just gathering within these walls. So we go as sent ones as we leave here this morning, God, that we're carriers of your name, and you, you make your home inside of us, so we're carriers of you, and you go with us. What a privilege and what an honor, God. We say we love you. In your mighty name we pray. Amen and amen.